how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome back to the show. Hopefully you've enjoyed the last few episodes where I gave away the audiobook for Ink by the Barrel. If you haven't heard that, go check that out. Now we are back with our interviews. In this conversation, I sat down with Ben David Grabinski. He is known for Skip Trace, the Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville movie, a movie called Happily with Joel McHale. Writing for the series, Are You Afraid of the Dark? The new updated version. And of course, Scott Pilgrim takes off the brand new adaptation anime version based on the comic and Edgar Wright's film. We talk about writing for this collaboration, what it was like to be on a partnership with the creator Brian O'Malley, how this all came together and started with Edgar Wright, what it means to write for animation, and Grabinski shares his best advice for getting noticed and creating engaging work today. You can also find this interview on the Creative Screenwriting website. I wanted to direct movies since I was maybe 10 years old. It's like all I ever wanted to do, and I had never really had a plan to write movies. Uh, and when I was in college, um, one summer, I stayed behind in a small town and had nothing to do. I didn't realize no one was going to be there. So I got a copy of Final Draft and just wrote a script. And uh, I had always planned on moving to L.A. as soon as I graduated. And I wrote a script and people seemed to like it. So then I wrote a few more before I moved to L.A. And then I kind of stumbled into it. I mean, I'd spent so much time thinking about uh, directing and making movies that, like, I... It just it sort of just became a foregone conclusion where my writing at first was just something to do to try to write something for me to direct it. But then I ended up really liking just the process of writing on its own. Um, and just even for like other people <clears throat> writing for assignments. And I just really enjoy that kind of a creative approach to storytelling. You think you grew to a level where you were ready, or or do you kind of wish you had started sooner? There's this Alex Formosi quote that we wait 20 years to take the first step, and then the second step is very simple after that. Um, a lot of people just wait too long for the first step. Uh, I don't know. I have a very unorthodox like career narrative because I um I moved to LA when I was 22, and like the second or third script I wrote got optioned, and then people were like, "We're going to make this in six months." And then the next thing I wrote was like on the blacklist, and Barry Sonnenfeld was going to direct. And as they're about to seeming about to shoot, uh, the studio went bankrupt, and I kept almost having like an overnight success. Um, and but then it took more than a decade to have like a movie actually produced that I wrote. So I feel both like. I don't know what my career life would have been like if those things had been made right away almost 20 years ago. Like that was like 2005, 2006. I had a bunch of things that like were seemingly about to go. And um, I know that I'm a much better writer now than I was then, but also, you know, everyone's hard on their own work. But like when I look back at something I wrote when I was like 22, I, I'm like, that guy didn't know anything about anything, uh, but I'm not the right person to have perspective on it. Um. I think that like just so much of success and all these things are sort of out of your control. So I think you have to just keep 
writing and then either opportunity will fall in your lap or it won't. Um, but I do know that like, I think I was a little bit more fully formed. At least I knew how to write scripts once I had, because I'd read so many and I was obsessed with movies. Like I had read like in the mid nineties, like when the internet first became a thing, um, there was like some scripts that ended up online and I had like the true lies script and die hard and some other stuff. And I just would obsessively read uh, scripts and I had had for years before I even wrote one. So I kind of internalized, you know, kind of the format and like how those things were done. So that by the time I wrote anything, I kind of felt, um, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd spent way too much time thinking about it beforehand, just years and years, you know, when I'd see a movie, I'd try to imagine what the script was, or I'd see a movie, then try to track down the script to try to, see, you know, reverse engineer in my head where those things came from. It's a, uh, I don't know if that's like an interesting answer, or if that's just, yeah. but no, is, is, so is that, um, if you were giving advice to those coming up today, there's so many scripts online. Is that kind of the, the best place to start is just reading a ton of scripts? Well, I didn't go to film school and, and it, clearly has a lot of value for a lot of people. But my way of learning about movies was I read a lot of scripts. I watched a lot of movies. Then I listened to audio commentaries. Like that was how I kind of figured out the process. But I think just if you read enough scripts and you are excited about that kind of um, language and that format and like structure, I think it can only help. I mean, I think just what happened for me was that I had read so many that I really started just internalize like how it felt to read a script. And then also like what, so like, you know, how something is looks on, it was broken down on a page versus executed that it's like, I just kind of felt like I absorbed a lot of that. So I don't think it can hurt to read a fuckload of scripts, but especially produced ones. Um, I think it's just really helpful to kind of see like how just kind of try to see the code and the matrix on it i, th I mean that at least was for me are there anything you do differently when you're writing a script that you intend to direct do you have a version that's for you with added details perhaps or is that something that belongs in a lookbook or somewhere else um i always write i've written shots and stuff into scripts uh I always have, even when they're for other people. I think if I'm writing something for myself to direct, uh, I worry a little less about annoying another director. Like I, when I'm writing something for someone else, sometimes I'll type something and I'm like, this might be kind of annoying if I, if someone like sent this my way and I'm like, like, leave me alone, kid. I'm going to figure this shit out. Like, why are you being so specific? Um, and I, I think that also the stuff I write for myself is just a little bit more playful in that way. Um, but I don't think there's any rules to that. Like some people don't write anything in there. Some people say like we see, some people say this is a close up. Um, I just think that something has to be a good read. I think that's the biggest priority. It's like that's something you don't want to put it down. Um, like if someone feels like they need to read something in one sitting, I think that's the most important thing you could pull off with a script. For some of the early work that did get made, I see uh, Skip Trace, Happily, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Were these projects where you came on board later? Are you co-writing? Like, what are some of the scenarios for those unfamiliar? Uh, Skip Trace was something that um, I came on and rewrote once the director came on right before production. Um, and I 
And then I wasn't involved in the shoot, but I had written enough of the movie that they determined I should have shared credit with the original writer. Um, Are You Afraid of the Dark was a, was I had written a movie of that that didn't get made, but then they wanted to make a TV show of it and asked if I had a take. And uh, I came in and pitched something. And then I wrote that whole season. Um, and that was like an adaptation of like a show that I'd grown up with that I really loved. Um, and then Happily is a movie that I wrote and directed. So that was just all my own dumb brain. Okay, uh, so I'm actually working on a documentary now about the history of stunts is where my fascination with this one is. But did you know that Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville were attached when you came on to that or no? I came on. It was uh, Jackie Chan and Sean William Scott. Um, Jackie Chan was one of my heroes when I was uh, in middle school or high school. I had like the I am Jackie Chan book, like literally on my nightstand. I saw every movie that got a theatrical release in America and I was like tracking down like bootlegs of other ones. So it was uh, really exciting to work on that. And then I didn't end up meeting him. I was supposed to go to China and then I didn't. And I ended up meeting him at like a Beyond Fest Q&A years later. But yeah, <clears throat> it's funny because the early uh, Jackie stuff and the early Johnny Knoxville stuff have some of the same appeal, which is that there's this visceral danger to it. And then this movie is not necessarily... Uh, a stunt heavy movie for, for both of them uh, as they are, you know, older now, but it's funny because the appeal of the early jackass and the Jackie Chan movies was pretty similar as there's something very unique about watching a thing when you're worried uh, for the safety and well-being of the dude doing it. And, and Knoxville is just basically like some hybrid of a stuntman and a clown. Uh, he's just got the, all that stuff to me is so fun. I, I wish that there was a like in the early 90s, some or like in the mid 90s, somehow there was like a Jackie and Johnny movie where both of them were just doing all their own stunts and just beating the shit out of each other. Like, if only. <laughs> all right. Well, tell me about the latest project. How did you get involved with Scott Pilgrim? Um, so, uh, Brian had had some talks with Netflix about doing the show and, uh, the creator of the comic. And I've known Brian a very long time and I was a very big fan of Scott Pilgrim and we had had dinner and he was talking about the pros and cons of doing an adaptation. Um, and that he wished that there was like a, a new way to tackle it. And, uh, I had a bunch of ideas and he really responded to them. And then he, uh, went to Netflix and the producers and was like, I really think that, uh, Ben David should do it. And like, we should like write and create the season together. Um, so it was a really fun situation where I hadn't done animation before. And also Brian hadn't made a TV show, but like, this is his world. You know, he wrote and drew all the books and, you know, Brian is Scott Pilgrim. And it was just a really fun adventure to like collaborate with someone because I've never uh, had a writing partner before. I've done everything on my own. And we were like, we wrote and were the showrunners on this. And it was just a completely unique experience for me. And I'm really proud of it. It's completely insane. You know, was it mainly just different working with someone else, like just kind of apples and oranges? Or was it like kind of a relief to have a partner? I mean, in a lot of ways, it's so much better. Like you don't realize until, you know, I've been writing everything on my own for at that point, I've been like, I'd say almost like 17 years I've only written alone. And then when you're writing with somebody else, it's just a completely different dynamic. I mean, one is just less lonely. Like you don't really realize uh, how 
weird it is to just be doing everything on your own until there's someone literally there that you're working with all the time where it's like, it's like you're just having conversations with yourself for years working on a script. You know, it's like you're just working things out and it's so much more valuable to have somebody there where every, you can pitch an idea immediately and they can pitch something back to you. And you're, you're always are like there, you're sharing stuff with each other. Like we reached a point where like, I, we, so after we had the outlines where like, I'd be writing an episode while he'd be writing another one. And then when we got done, we just like share them with each other and then rewrite each other's scripts. And it just made everything so much better because I'm already like hard on my work and I will just keep rewriting and working on something until I feel like it's not like, I just don't feel like something's good enough for a very long time, but it's also really helpful to just always have fresh eyes on a thing where we both just wanted to make sure that like we loved everything that was in the show and nothing was like ever good enough. Um, but it's just, it, it's just a completely different dynamic. Um, I'm still back to like doing stuff on my own, but I really enjoyed doing this with Brian, but it's all just, I think it has to just be about the partner. Like, because I've known Brian for so long and we've had a million conversations about movies and books and TV and video games. It just felt like another conversation we had only it's like about something that we were making. Cause like every movie I, I see or everything I watch, I end up having like a long conversation with Brian about it. And we kind of dissect things and talk, about the creative process. So when we're doing something together, it's just the same kind of thing. Um, it, it, like, because I knew him so well, it was fun. I couldn't like do it with somebody that I didn't like know super well and already have a shorthand with. Did anything about that partnership change or alter your solo writing now? Anything you think differently about anything? It's interesting. Um, Yes and no. Um, it's working in animation change has changed a lot of my approach. Uh, but in terms of us working together, it what I found is like the stuff that I'm doing on my own, I'm trying to still be like as specific as I can and feel like it's like my voice. Um, but what I what I learned from this is just like how to find a way to make something personal and something that I care about even if it's not like exactly like a one-to-one -one thing of like how I would have done it on my own, you know, like I, there's a lot of the show that to me feels like personal and emotional. And I feel like it's very much like me, but at the same time, every single word of it feels like it's of a piece with Brian's work. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but I haven't really had that. Anyone asked me that question before. <laughs> so what was for those like unfamiliar um what was kind of the linear process of getting this made so you guys pitched it at netflix when did edgar wright get involved and when did the animation studio get involved so uh before we had anything to do with it um edgar uh at some point had had a conversation with the other producers of the movie thinking like a harebrained idea of like oh it could be cool if someone did an anime adaptation of it and then the producers had had some dinner with some execs at Netflix and uh, who worked in the anime division and it had come up and then they found out that this really amazing animation studio science sorrow was interested. So by the time Brian had heard about it, they came to him and it was like Edgar was producing science sorrow was going to animate. And uh, they were wondering if he was interested in doing the adaptation himself. Uh, and he was a really big fan of science sorrow and, he had a really good relationship with Edgar because on the movie, Brian was very involved and like, you know, he came to set and saw cuts of the movie and Edgar like always kept him in the loop because Edgar really respects Brian's work. Um, so 
they had gone to him initially thinking that he would just do a direct adaptation of his books and then it would be animated by science saru but then we kind of threw a wrench in that whole process when i uh had a completely different take on what it should be <laughs> narratively and then we both came on and then just started writing and it's, it's been years of work where we pitched it and then people signed off on what we were doing. And then we spent a long time writing outlines and then we shared the outlines with our team in Japan and got feedback from them. And then it got greenlit based on the outlines. And then we were just writing in some way, shape or form every day for years on it. So was that new take that you had, was that the North star or what kind of conversations were ongoing in terms of like, well, it needs to feel like the original material, but also be anime, but also relate to Edgar's version. Did you always feel like you have to do this Venn diagram type thing? Uh, luckily the entire take that we had was a clean North star, which is that there's a, there's a big change to the story that I'd come up with that I, that basically dictated what everything else was going to be. And our feeling was that we just wanted to, because the his art was inspired by anime and there's a lot of like anime influence in the story itself. And we're both huge anime fans. And we just wanted to write something that felt like it was in conversation with Edgar's movie, but also leaned into everything that's great about anime and that medium. Um, but since we were telling a new version of the story, it gave them room to push it further and like as much as i love this site i'm like the only person who loves the psycho remake like i think that movie's fascinating but we really didn't want to feel like we were remaking the movie or that we were like a cover band that was like rehashing something and the hope is that people who watch it will uh feel like we made the right choice because i think that once you start watching the show you realize oh if this was the same story again it would feel like we're just repeating ourselves um but we'll see it's like you know people only starting to see it right now um but fingers crossed i hope they'll like it well i gotta ask i probably never even saw is that gus van zandt did psycho is that right this, yeah so he did a shot for shot psycho yeah. remake that is like the exact same script same shots and but it is modern and it's just i think it's a really fascinating experiment but i i am very much in the minority on it uh but I also just that's like, but my fear is making something like that, that people just feel like I think people feel like they want the same thing. But like the idea is people saying they're making like a Harry Potter show where they're like redoing the books again. And that sounds just so fucking awful to me. Like, I don't the idea of just having the exact same story again, that was already told well, like your, your only risk is that it's not going to be as good. And then you just have like the high bar of like, is it going to be as entertaining? Will those kids be as good as the other kids? But this is just a really interesting thing because we have the actors from the movie and Edgar's producing it, but it's also very, very new. But I think that it's, I want to make something that would work for people who love the movie and also work for people who've never seen the movie, never read the books. Like we're trying to hit both of those bullseyes at once. So it talks about not including too many um, visual cues for directors, but this is animation. I read an interview you did with Den of, Geek, um, Den of Geek, and you said you didn't want to interfere with visual inspirations for Science Saru. So what does that mean? Like, what does that look like on the page? Did you put, did, how how open of interpretation is that? Is it Does it read like a live action script? Uh, it does, but there's stuff where I would literally write, um, saying hey th the fight is going to start like this at the beginning of the fight it's going to seem like this guy's winning 
but then he's going to start to lose. And then this is the kind of dialogue that'll be in this section. Like I would literally write kind of like a vague instruction manual of what it is. And then they would send us back like a thousand storyboards of a sequence. And then we would give them feedback on it. Whereas we were trying to give them as much room to be creative as possible while kind of like dictating like the emotional or tonal work of it. It'd be like, this part of the fight should be funny. This part of the fight should be sad. Like we would sort of like walk through how we want the audience to feel, but then give them a ton of room to interpret it. And a lot of the fights have kind of a, hallucinatory vibe to them so there's a lot of room to be creative and push what they're doing i just we felt like i really wanted it to feel like an anime i didn't want the style to feel um like we just like hired a company to animate something i wanted it to feel organically like this is you know from our opening credits and the music and everything i just i wanted the show to feel like an anime and i felt like the more we tried to dictate the process the less it would feel like one mm-hmm. um so we tried to focus on the things that we thought were the most important um that didn't kind of force them into a box visually um i think we're almost out of time just any other advice for up and coming writers today how to get noticed how to write scripts with original voice anything that comes to mind like that I mean, I just think the real thing is that you got to try to write a movie you'd want to see. Try to write something that people aren't going to get bored and put down. Um, I think that just being engaging is the most important thing is like, just be really hard on your script to just be like, is there a reason someone's going to stop reading here? You know, that that might, I don't even know if that's good advice, but I think that making something very readable and entertaining, is very important because you're asking someone to spend hours uh, of their day staring at words on a screen uh, and you want to just try to keep their attention. And that doesn't mean something has to be stupid and crass or that you can't write something that's like complicated or patient, but just try to make it something as good as it can and don't share anything with anyone until you think that it's good (laughs) because, uh, Sometimes you only have one shot at getting someone's attention for your work. Um, So just make sure it's as good as it can be. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach and learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.